Welcome to Movie Moments, discussing the greatest movies of all time, plus all the newest films in theaters and streaming. Like us, rate us, share us. Here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. Hey, we're back for another edition of Movie Moments. I'm Mike Rags with Chuck Curry talking about the greatest movies of all time. Special guest on the show today coming up. Chuck got a chance to sit down with Peter Fascinelli, and uh, he's got a brand new movie coming out actually this weekend called On Fire, uh, kind of a disaster film. So Chuck uh, sits down with Peter and very special guest on Movie Moments later on in the show. And in honor of that, we'll talk about some of the greatest firefighting movies and fire in movies of all time. Um, before we get to Peter, that's later on in the show. Of course, follow us, subscribe wherever you are, Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to the show. Make sure you are subscribing to us and telling all your friends about it. Let's bring him in right now. Uh, Chuck Curry. Chuck, uh, the final weekend in September and a lot of movies coming out today, Chuck. So it'll be interesting to hear what you have to say as far as the box office, where it's heading, what it's doing. You have Saw out there. You got a kids movie and Paw Patrol. Saw versus Paw. Uh, what, what do you what are you hearing on the uh, on the uh, movie front right now? Actually, Paw Patrol's tracking uh, pretty well. Uh, I think it's going to double the original film, which went day to day, meaning it was released theatrically and also on streaming same day. I think this one's tracking around a twenty three twenty four million dollar opening weekend. Saw so, uh, ten, which brings back Tobin Bell, who's now uh, eighty one years old as Jigsaw, uh, actually getting the best reviews, Mike. In the franchise history, wow. believe it or not, as well as some of these Saw movies have done, uh, and they have. It is a really interesting franchise. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the original film. I like some of the sequels. It's not a franchise at this stage in the game in my life that I'm going to run out to a movie theater and see it. Having said that, this is going to this is going to open at around 17, 18 million, maybe if it gets some wind behind its sales, uh, it will hit. Uh, it what, will hit twenty. But what but, about uh, the big? It, what about the big release, the creator that comes out this weekend too? That's tracking. Uh, here's the deal: Garrett Edwards did that movie. He's the guy who did the Godzilla reboot. Uh, Rogue, he did, Rogue I think, the one second. Well. Yeah, he did. Yeah, Rogue. He did Rogue One. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. Rogue One. He's a good director. Uh, the people who like this movie really, really dig it. Uh, it was produced for around eighty million. A lot of people in the industry in the know say uh, it looks like a two hundred million dollar movie. Plus, so visually, he did a great job on on an eighty million now an eighty million dollar budget. To us, sounds like a lot of money, but in standard studio fare, eighty million dollars is is a solid but not stupendous budget. Uh, I think it's tracking like fourteen fifteen million. Uh, so it's not going to get out of the gate the way the studio. I believe it's being released by uh, Disney, but uh, Denzel Washington's son. Uh, is the star of this uh, film, which is getting mostly good reviews, a couple of naysayers, but overall good reviews. A lot of stuff enters the marketplace. You got next week, as we spoke uh, last week, we sort of did a preview, Exorcist Believer. Uh, and then the week after you got the uh, Taylor Swift, who's been in the news a yep. lot yep. Uh, this week again, uh, her concert uh, film tracking at uh, over 125 million dollar opening weekend now this past weekend expendables for a uh, pretty much bomb just did eight million dollars in uh in business a hundred million dollar budget 
I, I guess overseas will probably do perform a little bit better, but uh, probably, as we said, an ill-advised project uh, that uh, will probably be a financial loss for its producers and backers. All right. Well, that's uh, what's what box office is going to look like uh, so far this weekend. And of course, I did get uh, a chance. If you don't mind, I no, got a go chance ahead. to see Equalize. I got a chance to see Equalizer three. Yeah, yeah, I got a chance and to see the movie too. Fa- go ahead, you go first. I, I, and now I'm a, fa- I'm a definitely a fan of the Equalizer franchise. I love, and I mean, I love Denzel Washington in this role of Robin McCall, guy who uh, equalizes uh, some hairy situations for regular people. Uh, I actually thought I, I went by myself, Mike. I took a ride. It was sad. It was this last Saturday. It was it was raining. I said, let me go to the movies. This was a great company movie. Uh, I I absolutely loved watching Denzel do his thing in this movie. I thought the setting, which is third installment, takes place in in Italy. I thought it was a great setting. I wasn't sure if it would work uh, when it was going into production. I was like, ah, why are they taking the, the, this concept, bringing it to Italy? But he deals with low level mafia. It is a slow burn movie for the first half of its running time. And that's what makes it so effective because one, they have new, they do very nuance on his character on the citizens in this small town. You get to know uh, there's an Italian actress who plays a semi love interest to Denzel. Now there were scenes that they shot that they wound up cutting out of the film because uh, from what I read, uh, Antoine Fugner, the director said test audiences didn't like the fact that he was involved with it with another woman because i think in the first film his wife had passed and he was he was uh very reminiscent of that fact in his life but they do there is a subtle uh connection between this actress and him she's 38 years old in real life i think he's 68 but it's very beautifully done and the other characters in this movie the guy who takes him in i'm not going to tell you why you'll have to see the film but very good character is a local uh, a law enforcement character. Very good. You connect and bond with all these characters. And then halfway through, the villainous mafia starts to take hold. And you wound up, Mike, you wind up hating these people so much that there's a scene in this movie almost at the third act, in the th- beginning of the third act, when Denzel's Robert McCall meets up with this guy in a, in a, a local restaurant. And... It's the dialogue. It's so cathartic. Um, and it's, it's a, I would say this for me, I like the first two a lot, but I think this one's the best installment in the franchise. I give it an eight out of 10. Uh, it was very satisfying just on hanging out with this character for almost two hours. Uh, the revenge aspects of it, the cinematography was beautifully shot, the setting. I liked all the characters and I love Denzel. He's awesome in this movie. So if you like this type of a genre uh, and you want to see something that's not uh, a guy flying around in the cape, I highly recommend it. I had a really good time. I would border on saying I love this movie. I really wow. do like it a lot. Yeah, My I like it was, a lot. A lot. Was, yes. I mean, and in other words, 15 years ago, it probably would have made a ton of money in the movie theaters <laughs> and it would have been a must see for Denzel Washington. Well, they shot just- it. They shot it. The production cost was 75 million. Uh, it's 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 right around 150 million worldwide. So right. it's it's going to be profitable going on to its secondary market, which would be streaming and Blu-ray. And that's all, all any uh, financial backer could uh, ask for. So uh, well, I'd like to see a fourth one. I really would. I don't, They say this is it. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But uh, Denzel's one of those rare actors that um, he rarely a, makes a bad movie. I mean, let's face it. He's yeah, usually yeah. if he's in it, it's going to be pretty good. And, the only and movie you know that what pop- it reminded this one more than 
the others reminded when I was watching it, it felt like when I was sitting in a movie theater watching Pell Rider back in the right. 80s, right. like that aura of the, you know, the Shane type storyline uh, where this mysterious character sure. is there to save these, you know, innocent people. It just had that feel to it. I, I really did dig it. He will actually make any movie two and a half stars. It's just a question of if it's going to get better than that. I mean, the only movie I think I hated him in was Virtuosity, which was him and Russell Crowe. I, I thought that yeah, was trash, that but that was a yeah. while ago. He's usually pretty yeah, good. I'm, you know, John Q, I thought was contrived, but I know you liked it. I, he's just awesome. Yeah, it is contrived. I, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I watched that. Uh, I remember watching it about four months ago. It is definitely contrived, but. Listen, Denzel's so good that he's uh, in it. He yeah, like I said, he supersedes all the flaws, even the flaws of the siege. I mean, he's still really good in it. And, you know, yes, and it has a lot of problems. So, yeah, that I saw a great documentary and I mean, great uh, documentary yeah, on Netflix about the uh, life of um, of Mike Vec and his dad, Bill Vec, the owner of the Chicago White Sox. It's called The Saint of Second Chances. And it's told via Mike Vec, and uh, it's actually narrated by Jeff Daniels. And Charlie Day, actually, from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, pops up and acts as Mike Vec during the movie. I mean, it is just a second-chance kind of flick that gives hope to anybody that's ever failed at a job and has to come around. Of course, Bill Vec was a uh, an eccentric uh, owner of the Chicago White Sox back in the day, and Mike was the one yeah. that organized the, the, the uh, disco night. A death to disco night at the White Sox that ended up basically turning into a a riot and fire. Yeah, I remember and it was, that it was I failed. Let me ask and, you a question: whose idea? Whose idea? I remember because I'm reflecting now. Whose idea was it to have the uh, Chicago White Sox wear shorts? That was him. Uh, that was Bill Vec. That was his dad. Yeah. His dad. They wore shorts. That that's part of the show too. But it's really a redemption story about how uh, Mike Vec has to basically go in hiding for a while. But his love for baseball brought him back to the minor leagues. Um, Daryl Strawberry pops up in it as well because he's on the uh, St. Paul team that Mike Vec takes over, and he gets redemption too because that's where he rehabbed and got back to wow. the Yankees. So it's a real good story, and it turns out to be a little bit of a tearjerker as well towards the end. Uh, and Mike Vec, what an eccentric, great character um, and a real-life character. Check it out. It's called How the old was he when he ran the White Sox? How old? Uh, his dad was pretty old. His dad was in his probably in his 80s, but his he was the you know wow. owner's son helping organize things. And it was his bright idea to bring in a local DJ from Chicago and blow up some disco records. And and that that day lives in infamy. And he basically sure. could have ruined his life, but it didn't. And it sh this movie shows how it doesn't. Real good flick. Saint of Second Chances. It's on Netflix right now. Cool. Uh, check it out, especially if you love baseball, too, and minor league baseball, because it's got some real good stuff. Chuck, before we get into movie news, we did have some pass away this past week. It gives you a chance to talk about toys for five seconds, I'm sure. But Michael Gammon uh, died. Uh, long life, a great career, 82 years old. Um, obviously, he was Harry Potter. So he, he took over the uh, Richard Harris role when he passed yes, he away. he did a great job. He did a great, great job. job there. But uh, Michael Gammon, uh, Dumbledore, uh, passed away. So here's your chance. He was the villain in toys. So if you want to bring up toys, go ahead. Uh, well, it's almost Christmas, so. <laughs> Why not? Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is all I'll say about toys. Toys is an acquired taste, maybe the most eccentric of all Robin Williams performances. And that's saying a lot. Oh, listen, I enjoy it on a certain level. I can't defend it uh, from a critical point of view. But at Christmas time, uh, you know, I could watch it and uh, I, I'll get a kick out of it. 
All right, so I wanted to bring that up for you. Thank what you movie very much, new- by the way. I appreciate it. <laughs> what movie new? And remember, we've got Peter Fascinelli joining the show later on uh, the, on the podcast. Of course, a uh, great actor and director now is in the Twilight series. Uh, was in Can't Hardly Wait, one of my favorite uh, teenage movies of the, uh, I think it was late 90s, early 2000s. Um, what, 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 what movie news do you have for us today? I got, I, got, I got a bunch of this week in TV history, but before I get to that, in terms of movie news, I, now that the writer's strike is over, uh, a lot of these projects that were in sort of uh, limbo uh, for the last five months could now actively start to get going. One of them is going to be uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the scripting on, on uh, Matt Reeves' The Batman 2 uh, in production. I think Gladiator 2 was halfway uh, through pr- production. That that could st- that any rewrites on that film can go. go uh, this Monday, there's going to be a sit-down meeting between the studios and the actors. Hopefully, that'll end this thing. I guess there's been a lot of banter. I've been watching a lot of videos on YouTube about actually who got what in terms of the writer's strike. This is what I, I think. I think the writers who are successful uh, they've certainly gained because the people who are good are going to get more. But like to say that every writer is going to get uh, something out of this would probably be an understatement because the bottom line at the end of the day, uh, the writers uh, obviously have to be hired. They have to deli- they have to deliver. And the ones who deliver, obviously, they get job after job after job. That's why you see a lot of the same writers on a lot of different credits because it is a rare craft. It's a unique craft. Not everybody could do it to the level that needs to be needs to be done but hopefully the industry could get its footing back now that the writers are back and they could start moving these projects forward have a lot of you know is a perennial bullet in the gun get the actors back start a lot of the stuff in the in the pipeline but i did see one interesting observation mike which i tend to agree i think we're going to see a very different hollywood in terms of i think they've learned a lesson by the overspending on streaming. So I think going forward, even though you're going to see an initial pop in a lot of things moving forward, I do think the industry as a whole will streamline. And I think they're going to be more selective on what they green light put into production. I think the streaming model overall going forward, say five years out, I think will be streamlined. I wouldn't be surprised if some of them morph uh, two into one. I think some of the I wouldn't be surprised if some of the studios drop their their streaming and just outsource their product to an, another more substantial uh, streamer. But I don't think the industry is going to stay the way it was. It will change in many different directions. And you get to talk to Peter Fascinelli about it a little bit later on in the show, too. Yes. So it's interesting. All right. What do you got uh, this day in? In TV, I know it's called movie, the, movie the moments, but, but uh, Chuck likes TV, so we'll let I him do. play. We'll I let do. him play around. Well, maybe we should change the title. But September twenty fifth, nineteen ninety seven, uh, NBC airs a live episode of ER. I remember watching that. Now, I that I, this too, has yeah. been do- this has been done with sitcoms. I know um, the Connors did it a few years ago. It's been done on other sitcoms going live. But think about how hard that be- had to be had to be to do a drama uh, like ER where they use multiple cameras in multiple uh, sets all in the same setting. Uh, pretty, and it went pretty flawless. Uh, September 25th, 1997, September 26th, 1962, we weren't born, but Beverly Hillbillies premieres on CBS. Any re- recollection, recollection no. of uh, that show? No, I hate okay, that here's show. One, I here's, here's, here's one. Here's one that we both, I think, love. 
and I got a story on this one. September 26, 1964, Gilligan's Island premieres on CBS. Bob Denver, Alan Hale Jr., Jim Backus. The first few episodes I know were shot in black and white. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was a kid in school, elementary school, when we had auditorium, they made an announcement that we were going to watch a TV show. And somebody comes into the auditorium with three 35 millimeter reels. And they screen an episode of Gilligan's <laughs> Island for us. With That's think about this: like a projector, a movie projector, in three thirty-five millimeter reels to show a twenty-minute non-commercial episode of That's... Gilligan's Island. But I got to tell you, Mike, I have a ton of memories watching the show as a kid. The TV movies when they tried to get off the yep. island, I was always on pins and needles on the edge of my. Where are they going to get off the island? Oh my God, it fell through again. But. uh Bob Denver was awesome on that show, and it was a simple premise. Yep, like one one or two sets, and it worked. Well, just like every great sitcom, it's character yeah. driven, and it's all based yes. on you care about each of every from the professor Marion, all of them. Um, it, it you cared about every single every single one of them made you laugh in a certain way, and that's what was great about that show. I I agree. Now a year later, oh, actually, uh, no, five years later. September 26, 1969, the Brady Bunch premieres on ABC. I'm going to tell you a footnote that I that I researched and read uh, that you're going to fall over. Uh, Robert Reed got the role of Mike Brady, right? Mm-hmm. Originally, the producers wanted Gene Hackman, the star. <laughs> and the, now think about that. Think if Gene Hackman got that role. What would it, would he have done? The French Connection, the Poseidon Adventure, Lex no. Luthor, and Sue? Probably not, right? No. I mean, his career probably would have morphed down a completely different road. So sometimes he'd be more, decisions, he'd be more, Bill, he'd be more Bill Bixby than Gene Hackman, probably down the road. His yeah. career. I mean, you know? some, so again, the saying, sometimes the decisions you don't make are the, the best decisions you ever made. Right. But probably the best but, decision of Robert Reed's career too, though, because that really solidified him as a bonafide uh, TV star. He, he'd go opposite his character on TV and do roots. And, you know, unfortunately he, he, he didn't live a very long life, but yeah. Uh, definitely a mainstay in TV and a great casting there. He was perfect as the dad. And of course, I mean, Florence Henderson and as he well. Was. And, 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 and think about this. I mean, how the, the long run, the show, I think it ran for nine years, but like then it, it morphed into a, a, a variety, variety show, show. Yeah. And then they did reboots of it. Yep. Uh, yep. And, and remember that Christmas, that Christmas yeah. one was a huge TV movie that big ratings when they rebooted it way back in the, I think that was the late eighties um, and early nineties. And a lot of people watched the Christmas episode. I got one. And, one, and then one, they one. had another series too. They tried to do yeah. it as a, a hour long drama series uh, later on as well. So it wouldn't go away. I guess the kids needed. It wouldn't go away. Yeah. They were, they, were, they needed them. Look, their mortgages do just like everybody else. The two else's. movies were good. The two movies, yeah, the movies that were really they, you know, good. Betty Thomas did were really good. An iconic and iconic well episode. Yeah. It's a, it's part of my childhood. No doubt about it. What I want to know is, look, yeah. I know there's six kids, but Florence yeah. Henderson, she, Carol didn't work. Why the heck did they need a maid? I mean, I don't know. Isn't that a little overcoming I mean, that this Mike's got to pay for a maid too. I mean, come yeah, on, you're home is. all day. You could take care yeah. of it. I don't know. That's just me. Maybe I'm old fashioned that way. I thought that maybe they didn't need a maid in that house, but that's just me without the maid though. We wouldn't have got the, the butcher. We wouldn't have know Sam. Right. So I guess it's, it all, play, it all played a part. Well, I got, I got, I got one more before we go into uh, veer into a different topic. September 26, 1985. The, we talked about this a little bit about jumping the shark, the infamous, 
Jump the Shark in a right way episode of Dallas aired. Bobby Ewing, played by uh, Patrick Duffy, appears at the end of the episode in a shower, seen by his wife, Pam, played by uh, um, uh, Victoria Principal. Victoria Principal, yeah. Eradicating the whole season as a dream and rebooting a show going forward. An insane idea, but a necessary one. It had to be done because he it showed the importance of the, how important Patrick Duffy's Bobby was in that Dallas universe, uh, you know, going up against his brother, J.R., played uh, brilliantly by Larry Hagman. Uh, you know, we talked no. talk Jump the Shark. This was a good idea to Jump the Shark here, though. Well, not only that, but not too many uh, um, TV producers will listen to the fans and the outrage from the fans in that offseason was so large that they just yeah. figured how, we might lose a huge fan base here if we don't make a dramatic move. And that was uh, probably a wise decision. And it but allowed that show to go service. on. What's that? You believe in fan service. Um, I do. To I that do. extent, I very much so. Yeah. I mean, I hate I hate when the fans really want like you. We talked about this, about uh, J.D. Abrams, Star, uh, Star Wars, uh, the first one. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. how many people want. I mean, we both like that film a lot. I like it a lot, but how many people wanted to see how many people wanted to see Luke Han and Leia all in the same scene? We never got it. Right. 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 And, and the quest, the question is, it's so obvious, like the nose on your face. Right. But we didn't get it. And the question is like, why? Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, uh, but again, I, I'm often one yeah. of those guys too. like the movie for what it is, but not what you wanted it to be. You know, I agree. I liked yeah. it a lot. I, I, yep. I, we are on record to say we did like it a lot. Uh, one more I got. This brings back a memory. September 3rd, uh, September 30th. I didn't watch it. I wasn't born yet, but I did watch it in repeats. Very fond. 1960, the Flintstones animated premieres on ABC. I'll tell you yeah. a story again. When I was a kid. Prime time, by the way. Prime time. Yes. Show. Yeah. And, and uh, the Honeymooners aired in, in 1955. This, this basically was a homage to the honeymooners. And I think it's one of the best animated cartoons of all time. No, no doubt about it. Last week, well, I think I was the anniversary kid, of the Jetsons too. So I used to watch yeah. those two shows all the time, back to back. Growing I, up. I, I tell you a quick story. When I was a kid, before I went to school, before I went, my mother sent me to school and I walked to school. Uh, I, I grew up in an apartment house in Brooklyn, New York, and it was always a little cold in the morning. So I used to sit on the radiator, right? And I'd watch two, I, I watched two uh, two cartoons before I went to school. Eight o'clock in the morning, uh, on I was I think on WPRX or Fox Five, The Flintstones, and then Magilla Gorilla when I was a little yep. boy. And yep. I love, yeah, I love those two. I but I love The Flintstones. It was it was ahead of its time. It was so well done. Uh, it just worked. It, it worked totally worked. And- and of course, since it aired in prime time, it had to have a laugh track too, which is always kind of funny yeah, too. Like, like there's an actual studio audience watching. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a that's funny stuff. Uh, all right, uh, yep. any any other any is that it? No, we got through it, TV, perfect. and because basically yeah, it's a, it's September and October, you could probably go through every year, and a great TV show probably yeah, debuted around this time. No, no doubt, no doubt. Um, before we go any further, let's go back into the theaters. Um, pick a year from our. Uh, mm. From the 80s and 90s here, Chuck, and I'll tell you what came out, and you tell me what you would have seen. 80s or 90s? Yeah. Uh, we'll go with um, 88. 
1988, the uh, weekend of October, uh, I'm sorry, September 30th, October the 2nd. Here's what's new in theaters. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, remember how popular she was mm, back she was, in the yes. day. Uh, Heartbreak Hotel comes out as well, which was uh, David Keith, right, playing Elvis Presley with a bunch of teenagers in a car. Um, yeah. Punchline with um, Tom, Hanks Tom Hanks and Sally Field debuted as well. Interesting movie. That was a very interesting. That, you could argue that movie was somewhat flat, but there were people uh, who who did like it, and it and it dwelled on the subject of stand up comedy, which uh, has not really been explored a lot in feature films. So it was a good subject matter. So those are your new movies. I think I we'd venture to say Punchline is probably the one we'd go see coming out in probably. theaters. But there was a couple of movies in the top uh, in the theaters that you might have gone seen as well. Gorillas in the Mist, A Fish Called Wanda, Dead Ringers, and Die Hard was still running strong as yeah, well. All good, all good, all movies. good. Uh, and Cocktail and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So lots of chances wow. to go to the theaters now. If you're going yeah. back in time now, all those movies are out. I know you're going to say Die Hard, but what yeah, what would you want? And would it probably have been the 15th time you've seen it by then? I actually saw it uh, 10 times in a theater. So that would have been my 11th if I went it was back. The 12th, it was the 12th week of its release. Um, it's Dead incredible Ring- the legs those movies had. I mean, think about it. I, I remember Die Hard. Die Hard never opened big. Die Hard had, if, nope, my, if just, my memory is good, and I know it's good, I think it opened $7 million. It churned so and burned it, is what it did. It yeah, just it kept did. having it never it, it it was doing like five million a week. It never dropped, just kept chugging and chugging and well, chugging and chugging. Another one too was uh, a fish called Wanda, right? That was a summer movie. That was out twelve weeks already, and it was the it was the third most popular movie of the week. It made fifty one million at the time, one of the funniest movies of the eighties. And that was a movie too. All British actors and Jamie Lee Curtis and Kevin Klein. But it got such good word of mouth. It was so entertaining and funny. And a major player at the Oscars. Major player at the Oscars. And it just kept yes. building. The popularity of it kept building. That's why you see those movies that basically came out the same weekend in the summer, still in the top five in theaters in, back in 1988. So good year. Uh, you know, if, if you need a good laugh, you're going to see A Fish Called Wanda. And if you needed a, uh action movie, of course, it was die hard. All right, Chuck, let's talk about fire in film. And obviously, you know, uh, we're going to delve into the disaster genre here a little bit with fire. Um, and, and, and I didn't see Hellfighters with John Wayne, which is really the first firefighter movie that I can think of back in the 1960s. But, you know, you and I were both fans of the TV series uh, Emergency Emergency One. Um, yeah. Great. Uh, Great show that combined both the medical drama and the firefighting drama back in the early 70s. But really the granddaddy of it all and where it all starts is the Towering Inferno in 1974. Obviously, we are not we are not shy talking about how much affinity we have for this movie. One of the greatest movies of all time, one of the greatest disaster movies so. of all time. I and, agree. And, and, and I know there, I talk to firefighters even to this day. They still reference not only the uh, the power of the movie, but the accuracy of the movie, and it's almost fifty years old now. Uh, what it's more can we add about the Towering Inferno? I, I I just think you know if, if anybody ever got a chance in this generation who may not know of the Towering Inferno and clearly never saw it in a movie theater, if you ever get a chance to see it in a movie theater, I still think it's one of the most epic movies ever made. It's so well done. Some of the best, maybe the best star power pairing of all time, and Paul Newman. And Steve 
McQueen. I, I think the effects they use miniatures. I mean, when I say miniature, uh, I don't mean the size of our hand, but the building itself was, yeah. you know, a few stories tall. Uh, and the and it, the effects hold up, I think, beautifully. Uh, it's it's a a, a, a terrific, ter- terrific film. Um, and you know, I remember as a kid when I opened the newspaper to see, you know, the yes in the newspaper, just to, just to see like the, the different artwork they did on that movie. It always excited me. I mean, I, I love yeah. looking at old newspaper clippings and, you know, when I see the Poseidon adventure of the Italian Inferno, it's, it, I don't know. I get goosebumps. It's, it's not cause it's, you know, it was a big part of my childhood, that disaster genre, but Italian I, Inferno I, is a 10 out of 10 movie. I am looking at the, the, uh, the movie poster art in my den right now, uh, as we yeah. do this podcast, it's, it's awesome. one of my favorite movie posters, uh, and one of my favorite movies and chief O'Halloran, uh, with Steve McQueen, one of my favorite characters on screen of all time. And I still watch the scene when they tell him the bad news where he's got to go up and blow oh. the, uh, fuses. I just love, love that scene. And he, he's and got the great line. The audience had to that yeah. Scene. Yeah. Great line. Yeah. Now you had a couple of disaster movies right after that city on fire and fire, um, fire was a TV movie with Ernest Borgnine, Patty Duke, yeah. uh, Vera Miles and city on fire was movies, Barry as Newman. You could see, as you could see in those movies, they, they always casted young. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They went, yeah. they went for the young audiences, right? Um, yeah, city I mean, on fire. That's the difference in the genre. If you were under 40, you weren't getting a role, right? Right. Right. Um, city on fire to me out of the two is probably the better film, but I say that that's theatrically. Tongue- I, listen, I remember enjoying fire as a tv movie city on fire i actually watched it a few months ago it was on youtube it's and flat. you know it's 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 ridiculous I it's mean, flat the, the, yeah yeah it's fun to see leslie nielsen and barry newman and all the stars barry and, newman the late yeah. barry newman now but yep. yeah he was awesome uh i remember watching a show called code red on tv lauren green series that probably only yeah. lasted a couple of uh maybe maybe a season and a half remember adam rich was on that show too hot off of Eight is enough. Uh, yeah. We move into the 80s. Not a lot of firefighting movies uh, in between, but Turk 182 comes out in 1985, which was a bomb. Timothy Hutton um, trying yeah. to get insurance money for his brother, Robert Urich, of all people, um, yeah, who got yeah. hurt in a firefighter. Um, I remember Siskel and Ebert just lambasting this movie. It's not as bad as people might remember, um, but it didn't make any mark at the box office. Any memories of Turk 182? Play- take place in uh, New York City, I, I by do- the way. I do. Uh, I, I'm, I know I saw it in the theater and I, I know the, the main criticism is that uh, I, I think the storyline sort of jumps the shock from the get go. Yeah. Like it, 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 it's, you know, it's, it, it shoehorns where it wants to go and it, it, you, you feel it. Uh, it, it just, it's an implausible movie with, you know, with some good acting talent. A couple of movies that have firefighting around it, not really about fire, but uh, I enjoyed both of them. Roxanne with Steve Martin, a lovable Cyrano yeah. de Bergerac yeah. uh, firefighter, yep. a very lovable movie there. And The January Man comes out in 1989, which he plays a firefighter who turns in. Uh, he was a former cop, uh, almost an implausible movie, but fun because Kevin Klein, I think that was his first film after A Fish Called Wanda winning an Oscar um, and then Always comes out in 1989. Of course, this is a Steven Spielberg film that not many people have probably seen with Richard Dreyfuss and John Goodman as um, forest fire f- firefighters. Um, Dreyfuss dies and he kind of haunts uh, Holly Hunter. Uh, it was a remake of, a, of an yes. old 50s film. Um, yes. Spielberg Spielberg got panned a little bit here for this film. He Chuck. Very, visually he stunning and great, but a very, very weak storyline. 
Yeah, I, I just watched uh, in my um, in my journey to watch every Siskel and Ebert show on YouTube. I, I just watched him uh, review review this movie in my parallel universe mind, my multiverse mind. <laughs> and yeah, they gave it uh, a strong thumbs down. They just thought it was flat. Uh, and pretty uninspired, which is surprising to Spielberg because it was a pet project. He wanted to do it for many a year. Yep. Yep. Um, and one of my favorite movies of the 90s. Now, I look, I know firefighters uh, get a little offended by this film because the bad guy is uh, a firefighter in backdraft. But I absolutely adore this film is so well done. Ron Howard, the director, Kurt Russell as the lead. And of course, the special effects are so good in it. They made a special category for it that they won. Um, and they made a special ride for it at Universal as well. A Backdraft is a powerful movie, Chuck, with a great score by Hans Zimmer. Look great at Squad. And, and, and it probably was a big mistake to make the main villain a firefighter. But all-star cast, great performances, and just the best performances by the fire. It's a, a real good watch. Well, I listen, Jennifer Jason Lee of Fast Times at Richmond High fame took a lot of heat because her performance was weak in this movie. The positives, though, and I like this movie a lot. Uh, Billy, Billy Baldwin, uh, I thought was the best thing he's ever done, in my yeah, opinion. Probably. Like, that's, I mean, he, he that's really not saying much, but yes, film. I agree. Yeah, you know, he was the, the best thing he's ever done. The Kurt Russell death scene at the end is awesome, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it is. it's really awesome, powerful. Um, I, it, you know, the um, the Donald Sutherland character is, is sort of a ripoff of Hannibal Lecter in well, Silence he, of the Lambs. And yeah, God. And, and he, would repri- he would reprise the role in Backdraft, too. Oh my <laughs> I remember you telling me to see that. I was like, you know, you th- th- this is before really streaming. Yeah. Uh, took off. Yeah. Gained, gained whole. Right. It took yeah. off. And they were doing these, you know, whoever, you know, whoever was producing this stuff saying. You know, let's just take a name title. How Universal gave them the title to do Backdraft 2 of that. I mean, it's just unwatchable garbage. It's just terrible. It is bad. I mean, it is. terrible. I mean, it's like the talk about the bottom of the Walmart bin. Like, you know, my hand couldn't reach it so bad. But um, <laughs> I, I will say this. I do think it was ill-advised to make a firefighter. The I, I just think I can't believe that they allowed that. It was dumb. Having said that, it's still a very good movie. The fire scenes are excellent. And Ron Howard does a good job as a dragon. It was a big hit. So, yeah, we're both big fans. And uh, 1997, uh, not a lot of firefighters, but plenty of fire with two volcanoes erupting. Um, I think you're more partial to Dante's Peak. A volcano came out as well. They're both very watchable films. But no, I listen, would... I've been watching Volcano. I, I bought it on Prime. I, I watch it in my shop uh, at least once a month because it's a good visual. I'm going to really like it. I think Anne Heche. And, and and Tommy Lee Jones have a solid a solid respectable chemistry in this film. I like I like both of them. I mean, again, in Dante's Peak, what I like about that film is I think the chemistry again a respectful adult chemistry between Pierce Bronson and Linda Hamilton is is very good. I like both those films. Yeah, both of them are very effective films. With uh, it, that was the peak of the resurgence of the uh, yes of the correct. fire of fire uh, of a uh, disaster movies uh as well um chuck there was a movie called trapped on the uh what the heck it? it was a lee majors tv movie that a lot of people give buzz to um i i, I never saw it but it came out in 1988 as well i wanted to bring it up because it's on a was that john foresight i i maybe he was i can't remember if he was in that or not but i just i only bring it up because it was it trapped on the foyer floor the 23rd floor or something like that 
Okay. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I, I never saw it, so I, I'll bring it up. I know there's one with John Forsythe. I think it's called Trapped on on, on one of those floors. That that did get really good reviews. I, actually, it, it is. I think it's on YouTube. I tried watching it, but the print is awful. Like it, the, it, the YouTube print because it's you know it's framed at four point three. It is actually hard visually to watch it. But uh, I, if it's the movie you're talking about, I think it, it was actually pretty good. All right, well, I'll, I'll take your word for it because I never saw it. And, uh, it, 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 I, you know, in doing the research for the show today, there was just yeah. a lot of uh, it popped up a lot on lists that I, I had never seen. So I, I wanted to give it its its due uh, okay. per se, Chuck. So we got through both um, disaster movies and the volcanoes. Um, what about the wasn't there a uh, <laughs> uh, also a firefighter uh, in, in the woods uh, with a. Uh, with the guy that's on Fox Sports uh, Football, Howie Long, didn't he do one as well? What was the name of that yeah, movie? He, <laughs> he played was the it fire called Firestorm? Firestorm, yeah, right, yeah. Okay, Thoughts here's, on let, me Firestorm. Tell you a story. let me tell you a story about that movie. The movie was a misfire. Howie Long, when he did Broken Arrow with, with Travolta and Christian Slater, right? He got a lot of good notice. Oh, Harry Long's pretty cool. He has a yeah. good screen presence. He signs a three-picture deal. With Fox. This being the first picture. Yeah. And then he never saw the other two. Like they never optioned the other two, the, the second and third film for him. Uh, so his movie career sort of crashed and burned with this movie. The premise is interesting, but it's. Well, it's diehard in a movie. fire, a forest fire, right? Basically, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I mean, he had a good screen presence, Howie Long. And he was, and he, you know, he played the henchman in Broken Arrow. So, you know, somebody at the studio said, hey, you know, Howie Long could be the next big thing uh it never really material it never really materialized that was in 1998 in 2000 uh a movie we both like not a lot of fire sequences um but dennis quaid and jim caviezel in frequency deals with the firefighter in that movie as well i love that movie a mystery over a a time travel movie uh that revolves around the 1969 mets winning the world series too uh very good film chuck and it's interesting how these two stars now the, the careers they have currently as opposed to what they had in 2000. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Caviezel, um, has his own sort of vacuum of, of success. And, and you're right. Dennis Quay is doing a lot of, uh, Christian allegory movies mm-hmm. now. Uh, you know, it's interesting because, uh, I mean, we all age, but is it, you know, Dennis Quaid in his fifties was look, looked to me, like it looked great. Yeah. Getting plum rolls, yeah, he's a little bit up up there now. He's starting to show his age a little bit more. But listen, he's a he's 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 a big name in, in pop culture. And uh, I always enjoy anything he does. He aged very similar to the way Harrison Ford aged age on screen. Just just very yeah, similar to be able to do those um, um, seven year run on TV. I wasn't a huge fan of it. Watched every once in a while. Rescue me with Dennis. No, Leary. I was a big fan. I was a big fan. Listen, here's the interesting part about that show. Uh, it, 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 Dennis, uh, Dennis Leary, uh, clearly played homage and love to firefighters. And I, I liked that show immensely. The one caveat about that show is Dennis Leary's character was not really likable. Like, I mean, right, he was on, right. he was not a likable guy. He was a complete, he, he, he was a screw up in many facets of his life. So I would say he was the least likable as the lead character on an ensemble show that had a lot of really good characters 
very adult oriented. Uh, I would I would say hard R in terms of TV content. It was an FX show, uh, but I liked all the characters. I, I liked that show. It was a it was a big favorite. I watched it every week. I liked it a lot. That started in 2004. I might say Ladder 49 might be the last John Travolta headline a major motion picture in Joaquin a theater's Phoenix, movie. Yeah, I, Joaquin Phoenix, right? yeah. Joaquin Phoenix, right? Would that be the benchmark for, for Travolta? Is it Ladder 49? I, like, I can't remember anything after that that people went to the theaters to see him because he was headlining. This is a very popular flick among firefighters, Ladder 49 with uh, Joaquin Phoenix and John Travolta. Good flick. Yeah, I, li- I, I like it. You might be right. You know, it's interesting. Uh, is being rumored strongly that Travolta will have a part in Quentin Tarantino's next movie. So it's going to be interesting if Tarantino could reboot him two times in his life. One with Pulp Fiction, which opened the door for Travolta to get big paycheck, high quality movies. Can it be done again? Mm, Maybe not, but let's see. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, Two movies that are similar to, uh, to the towering inferno one i would recommend it's a japanese film the tower which is really good but also basically the same kind of film was the 2018 skyscraper uh flick with dwayne the rock johnson which tried to uh, contain about seven different genres in one film die hard in a building then the fire and towering inferno i mean it was so it, to me, Chuck, I know we both forgot. It almost feels as, as big as forgotten. his persona yeah. is. It almost feels forgotten, right? I, and and I think rightfully so. The we both enjoyed San Andreas because Dwayne Johnson was San actually Andreas. playing a, a much grounded character. I Skyscrapers agree. are very very over the top, and, and, they and it's okay to be leg. over. Th- they got to give him a peg leg. Yeah, I mean, it's okay to be over the top, but ha- be tongue in cheek about it. It's over the top, but yet very very serious. Um, and to me, I, I, it was. So implausible! It it helped. It didn't help me enjoying the film at all. I, it's I, I couldn't terrible, get through. It does have. It does have. Uh, Nev Campbell's good as his wife. It does have some entertainment value. But instead of making it grounded, if they would have just went a grounded route and make it believable, like the Towering Inferno, uh, it it's the Towering Inferno on on steroids, and you know instead of putting the fire out with water, you know Dwayne Johnson's punching the fire. It's just it's just too much. I would recommend the tower though. It's really good. Um, Japanese, you got to subtitle it, but it's, it's very yeah. similar to that as well. Um, I would agree. And uh, you, I, don't, I wanted to end we got in on fire, which is coming out this weekend. We're going to talk to Peter Fascinelli yes. here in a second. That's part of the reason we're doing this. And um, the, the last firefighter, well, those who wish me dead, which also starred Angelina Jolie came out a few years ago on streaming, but the last fire movie firefighter movie I wanted to bring up was maybe one of the best ones as well. And that's only the brave Chuck, which stars Josh it. Brolin, a very powerful film based on a true story. Jeff Bridges gives one of his best performances of all time. This movie is very, very good. Chuck hard to watch because of the harrowing. content It's hard to watch. It's hard to watch because it is, it is it, and in terms of realis- it's realism, and the dangers of what these people do. Uh, th- this is a hardcore movie with a with terrific cast. Jennifer Connelly's, uh, oh, I, I think so it's good. awesome. M- Miles awesome. Teller is fantastic. Miles yes. Teller's fantastic in this film as well. I, it's just, uh, 
it's one of those movies where it's it's hard. It, you can't call it rewatchable, right? Because you watch it once, you're like, it's so well, and hard. We, and I, I discovered I, I and I discovered it on Blu-ray. I did not see it in a movie theater, and when I watched it on Blu-ray, I was blown away how good this movie was. Very, very good movie. Yeah, I saw it in theaters. I cried my eyes out, and uh, it's just such a such a great film. So if you haven't seen only the Brave, uh, go check it out now. So that's our trip through fire, Chuck. Let's uh, let's let's hear your interview with Peter Fascinelli, and we'll come back. And recap the show. Writer, actor, producer. Uh, primarily, most people would know him from the Twilight movies. Also, Nurse Jackie. One of the best ensemble shows, I think, of the 2000s. I loved that show. Peter's currently uh, promoting his new film, On Fire, which uh, is a independent movie being released in movie theaters this weekend. In the film, Peter plays uh, part of a family who has to uh, escape a... Uh, a wildfire in Northern California. Uh, Peter, welcome to the program. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much. Okay. I just want to preface before uh, I give you the floor. Uh, I got a chance to watch the trailer of this film a few weeks ago, and I was pleasantly surprised by the genre because I'll tell you a quick story. When I was a kid in 1972, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and my parents took me to the Avalon Movie Theater King's Highway in the balcony, and we watched a Poseidon adventure uh, starring Gene Hackman and Ernest Borgnine, produced by the master of disaster, Erwin Allen. And that became my childhood Star Wars. Uh, I've watched that movie repeatedly. It has gone on to become my all-time favorite film. As a child, I could not wait to see disaster movies like The Towering Inferno in 1974, Earthquake in the same year. Uh, the genre itself, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with it, but it was sort of revitalized in the 1990s when Stallone did Daylight, Timely Jones did Volcano, Tia Leone did Deep Impact. So I love this genre. And I got to tell you, Peter, I am very happy that this movie is being released theatrically. And I got a few questions for you. One, what about the project got you interested in wanting to do it? Because I do believe these type of films work very well when an actor such as yourself, who is identifiable as an everyday man, gets involved in, in character in this type of film, because I think the audience interest uh, increases with an actor like yourself playing a part like this. So how did this project come about? How long was the shoot? I know you're listed as co-director, and we'll go into that as we speak. But how did this all all, all play out? Well, I received the script, and it, and it was twofold. Uh, look, I'm a fan, too, of family survival films. So uh, that, to me, was already appealing. But then it had this very poignant storyline that had to do with wildfires. And it was even back then it was in the news. We had the big Australia fire. There was fires breaking out in other places and, and Northern California had their fires and every year it seemed like fires were happening. So I thought, you know, this story really is poignant. Um, but, but like those films, you know, you, you have this journey that these, this family goes, the family goes on, which is a, the core essential part of a, of a family survival film. But unlike those films, which I really liked in this one, usually in those films, like the dad is the hero and he's going to like lead everybody to safety. And in this right. one, you know, my character has his heroic moments, but he's just a dad he's trying to figure it out. You know, he's doing his best. And then my wife also has her heroic moments. And my son in it, who's played by Asher Angel, who's fantastic at it, he was in Shazam, 
he's like right. uh, 19 or 20. Uh, he has his heroic moments. So, so it's a, it's really a, a movie about these, uh, this family that's kind of growing together through this experience and, and are, is there for each other. And, and it also has this storyline of this 911 operator that, that's uh, new on the job in a sleepy town, and then all of a sudden she's thrown into ground zero and trying to do it the best she can. And, uh, and she connects with this one family and, and tries to help them out. So it's an exciting movie. It keeps you on the edge of your seats. I, I, you know, you're not going to fall asleep in this film or even want to get up to go to the bathroom. Uh, and then at the end of the film, we give tribute to firefighters, now one operators. We actually dedicate the film to them. So uh, I'm excited because if people have a firefighter or a first responder uh, in their families or a friend, buy them a ticket, go see it with them. This movie is dedicated to them, and I think they'd appreciate it. Very cool. Again, we're talking to Peter Fascinelli, whose new movie, On Fire, opens uh, in theaters this weekend. Talk a little bit about uh, the co-directing. Uh, Nick Lyon uh, was listed as the director. I read in some yeah. of your interviews that he got COVID during production, so he handed off the reins to you to finish up the film. I am very curious. Tell me about the editing room process. After you shoot the film, and by the way, yeah. how long was the shoot in general? Uh, it's about three weeks, three weeks, okay. uh, shoot. I, I signed up to, as an actor, you know, Nick and I were working collaboratively. I think I really respect him as a filmmaker. He respected me as a filmmaker. I've directed two films, uh, before, uh, and you know, when we were going to, in to tackle the scenes, we were always sitting there going, well, what can we do to make the scene better? How can we have more payoffs, uh, setups and payoffs? How can we put more themes in this? There's a lot of takeaways in this film, uh, that, that, that we put in there under the umbrella of the family survival film. So when you got uh, COVID, you know, your, your uh. captain's down and you're like, what do you do? We're too small of a film to, to shut down and we couldn't go back right. to court. So, uh, you know, Nick looked at me and said, Hey, here's the baton. I know, you know, you know, what, what we're, we're doing here. Um, and then I'm, I'm just pulling double duty at that point. You know, I'm showing up the set as an actor, but also running the ship. I finished the film up and we just took that collaboration into the editing room. You know, he did a cut, we gave notes. I went in, I brought my composer in from my last movie, uh, and, and worked with that. Then we did, uh, we worked together on the CGI. It was, uh, and we celebrated that collaborative, you know, work with, with a co-director credit. Now tell us, I, cause I, I watch a couple of your interviews. Tell us about the score of the film, how important the score yeah. is to setting the mood for the overall story? Well, it's so important in a film like this because, you know, originally we had a, uh, we had a, an early cut and it was just trying to be something it wasn't. It was, it was action music all the way through and, and it just didn't feel like the, I was connecting with the audience and the audience was connecting with the, the, the characters. So, uh, you know, I brought in my composer and he really you know, I said, listen, I don't want to hear any action music till the last 10 minutes. Slow the music down. Treat the fire like it's an alien invasion that's coming and growing. Give it, give it a sound design. Give it a character of its own because that fire is the antagonist of the movie, you know? It's the shark in Jaws is the fire, you know? So uh, it's, it's a slowing down the music and, and, and having this music that gives you the, the gears of the film where where to speed up, where to slow down. It really helped uh, guide the story uh, for us. And then there's moments where I was like, look, look take, take the music out because we need moments of silence before it starts, this action starts up, you know, again. And I feel like we really, he really nailed that. Uh, so, so the pacing is really, really strong in this film. 
Very good. Now, a question. Have you watched the final product with an audience? Yes. And it's really and what was that? What was that like? Because, you know, it's really exciting because at the end of the movie, they, I've had audiences give it a standing ovation. I've had audiences uh, so excited at the end of the film because it, it, it leaves off with a message of hope. It leaves off with a message of rebirth. But you've just gone through, you feel like you've gone through this, this harrowing journey with this family. And there's not one person that's gotten up, you know, to go to the bathroom, uh, including me. I watched the movie now. I, I had a screening. I had to pee, and I was like, no, I can't. I, I, I want to <laughs> this is the good part. <laughs> so that's I know cool. uh, if you go see the film, it'll be money well spent. If you have a firefighter or another one, you know, responder in the family or a friend, take them. You know, they'll appreciate it. Very good. Well, you're doing a great job promoting it. I do have a question. And by the way, we're on the line with Peter Fascinelli, who has his new movie On Fire in theaters this weekend. Just give me an idea in your opinion. I'm very curious. Your opinion of the, of the industry in terms of getting films made, what gets made pre-COVID versus post-COVID. I have very strong opinions on this because I think the industry, and I'm, I would assume you would agree, has changed dramatically post-COVID. So you as a working actor, working in the business, pre-COVID versus working as an actor post-COVID. Just give me your thoughts on that subject. Yeah. You know, it's tough because the momentum was really shut down over COVID, I felt. And then it started to get right back on track. Uh, and then the strike happened. Uh, and I felt like we were just starting to get, you know, the theaters were starting to, to get back to where they needed yes. to be. And then the strike happened and it kind of shut everything down again, which is one of the, you know, it's, it was important to me to go and get a SAG, the SAG interim agreement with these producers. The producers didn't yes. have to sign it. They could have released it under the old agreement, but they stood by their actors. We're getting all the terms and conditions we're asking for under the agreement that these producers signed, which is something to celebrate. We're actually the first film going to theaters that, that uh, under the new SAG interim agreement, which is a beautiful thing uh, to celebrate That's as well. Awesome. So uh, I'm I'm excited to be a pioneer in that and and uh, and 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 steer people back to theaters. You know, this is a great way to support actors that are on strike. I hundred percent agree. Supported by that, yeah. By percent agree. Us. Well, Peter, I want to thank you for your time. Best of luck. I don't know you personally, but I'm proud of you. I'm really happy this movie will play theatrically. Again, it's called On, on Fire in theaters this weekend, Peter. Thank you very much for your time. Much appreciated. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. That was uh, Peter Fascinelli. His new movie's on fire. It's in theaters now. In theaters, most importantly, underline, Chuck, uh, Peter Fascinelli. Excellent. Uh, yep. uh, a, a real good job there. And I think next week we're going to have a, another special guest on the show. Who you got lined up? Uh, Matthew Lillard from uh, Scream and uh, Shaggy <laughs> of Scooby-Doo. Talking about his new journey in life as an entrepreneur. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of actors uh, doing that kind of stuff now. And Matthew Lillard, I, I every the one scene I think of Matthew Lillard is freaking uh, scream when Skeet Ulrich oh. keeps stabbing him. And, and he, I think you went a little too deep that time. Just some of that stuff. <laughs> he stands out. In the, and, you know, that really launched his career because he was able to do that kind of shtick in a lot of other movies, whether it be Summer Cats. It's a or unique stick, too. It's, he's a unique actor, there's no he, doubt. He is. It's good stuff. All right, Chuck, Movie Moments. We'll do it all over again next week. Mike, to the audience, always a pleasure. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Movie Moments with Chuck Curry and Mike Rags. Download and listen to an archive show or be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear our new episode. by Federated Media.